baby. Ooh, what do you got there? It's um, 450 grams of CBD in every sip. Mmm, that sounds delicious. It's like having a, a full jug of Rioniti wine. Remember that shit? Rioniti? Of course I do. I used it was to, spelled I like... I, s- I was going to say, I think I slept for like three months on a pillow made of uh, a bag of Rioniti. <laughs> I remember someone came to our show. I think it was Andre Siwi or someone, and he brought us a bag of wine. It looked like a an IV bag, but it was huge, right? And then I think one of our crew guys slept, used it as a pillow. One of our crew guys played it like bagpipes. He had held yeah. it under his arm and put the thing in there, and he's like <laughs> blowing on it. Whoa. Yeah, it's funny. I think it ended up. Uh, I think it ended up on the freeway in Toronto. I think someone whipped it onto the freeway when we were playing uh, with Daughtry. Remember that tour? Of course. Yeah, yeah. It's probably illegal to bring that across the border because it was so, such a shitty wine. But it's not illegal to whip it out of a moving bus onto the side of the freeway, right? I mean, come and get me. Yeah. <laughs> And I started watching this awesome, I don't know if you've seen it yet, it's the Paul McCartney, I think it's called 321 with Rick Rubin. Yeah, I've seen some clips. Oh, man. It's just, I, I'm already, I'm burning through, I don't know how many episodes there is, but I'm just burning through. I'm texting people, you see this or what? And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're old. That came out four years ago. I don't know. It's so good, man. Like, it really, because we're going to start working on new music, so just watching Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin talk about making all the mm-hmm. Beatles records was awesome. Yeah, they they talk about the gems, right? Like what you know, and they solo stuff and hear Paul McCartney's voice crack or something like that. Yeah, he'll be embarrassed about it, but then Rick Rubin's like, "No, nah, that's the magic." Yeah, that's literally they go probably, over. Uh, I think that's the preview. I think I literally just just gave you the preview. It's just, I mean, the stories they tell about like uh, just going on tour with who were they? Oh, they're on tour with Roy Orbison, and they went and stopped at some coffee shop, and they're all in the same bus tour bus. And then Roy Orbison didn't come in and they went in for tea and they went back on the bus and Roy Orbison was the back of the bus and he'd just written a song and he's like, pretty woman. I'm like, dude, that's insane. Like the stories mm-hmm. they have, like and the Beatles are like, that's great. But if he said like pretty, not you lady, know, like pretty lady, he said pretty lady. Yeah. Pretty lady. Uh, mm. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. I love Roy Orbison. That's like, reminds me of my dad. He used to always play a lot, you know, all the oldies, but Roy Orbison, something about that guy's voice. It's just like haunting. And then he just looked like an old man with these weird, like rimmed glasses and all black, dressed in all black. And he never moved his, his his expression. He would, he would sing like three octaves. He would never move. He'd be like, Oh, he would never like ever look like he was pretty theatrical hurting yeah he would just just stand there yeah he was great i like that music video of the driving woodbury's where after he passed away they show just the rocking chair that's right i think uh is roy orbison our guest today is that who we're talking to today it's a ghost of it's the ghost (laughs) of roy orbison that'd be amazing no, our uh, guest today actually is not a musician. It's uh, I'm super excited to have this guy on because, uh, you know, every one we do is about a musician. We talk about music with a musician. It'd be cool to talk uh, to someone that's about music that's not a musician. We've had some other people well, on here before, like hockey players. and You know my new passion, too, right now. You know my new passion. That's right. 
boxing. I'm a huge. I'm just like loving it right now. So I'm, I'm excited. He's got some. I think six and zero boxing amateur boxing record, uh, which I think is mm -hmm. similar to my record, which is zero and zero. But uh, still, not defeated yet. I have not been defeated. So what are the you you fight yourself and you tie still? That's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, no man, fights, step it up. No wins, no wins, no losses. Do you do well, any, like, when you fight, do you do any of the things, like, where you, like, act it out? Like, hey, man, what did I just say? Huh? I, I surprisingly don't. It's funny. It's funny. I really kind of thought that I was going to, like, get in there and, like, hit the heavy bag. Like, I was, like, the angry cry fight. You know, just start yep. crying and throwing mm -hmm. fists as hard as I can. But you know what? You're following these guidelines, and it becomes this really focused training session, and you aren't thinking about who you're mad at or any of that stuff. You're just focused on doing the stuff properly and hitting all the, you know, the, the bag in the, in the right position and technically just executing stuff. So it's, it's interesting. Cause I really was looking for it. Like it was going to be some kind of, you know, shedding all these negative things, but it happens, but just not consciously. Yeah. Well, you are also shedding four pounds of sweat. Yeah. I'm doing it in my garage in Montgomery, Alabama, it's 95 degrees outside. <laughs> well, well, let's intro, intro our guest here. Let's get him on. Now, all right, our guest today is a martial arts expert with 24 years of training, including a third-degree black belt in karate, a third-degree black belt in Elisa Judo, a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, has amassed a large following of fans with his McDojo Life Instagram and YouTube, as well as his own podcast. Please welcome Rob Ingram. Come on. Woo! Yo. What is up? I love it. Here I comes my it. floating head on the screen. Hey, I exist. <laughs> what is up? Effects. You know, Welcome it's funny. I was talking about Roy Orbison. That was like the first tattoo I decided to get on my ass cheek. And uh, you know what? No regrets. It's a great tattoo. Courtney, if you could flash up the photo of that uh, tattoo. Uh... <laughs> I didn't send it in. Oh, we'll do that in post. Bottom. We'll get that in post. On the <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, dude. I love talking shop. It's like, uh, funny enough, we actually just made a music video. Like, ironically enough, we drop it September 1st. A friend of mine who was a follower, um, we wind up just shooting the shit. I actually really enjoyed his music, and I hit him up one day, and I was like, have you ever done a song about martial arts? And he was like, uh, no, because no one does songs about martial arts. It's like five. <laughs> and I was like, that's the problem. I was like, there's a slew of ideas. And so we made a McDojo like theme song about a dude who gets his girlfriend taken away from him by a fraudulent martial arts instructor. And so he learns even more fraudulent martial arts to battle him for her love. And it's a uh, pretty good, uh, pretty fun. That's awesome. This okay, sounds like a song like... that needs a video for sure. Oh, it's gold. Pure gold. So is Can't it done? You say it's done. Oh, it's done. Yeah. We, we, we're just putting it right now. I think they have to go through that process of like getting it like, approved through their their streaming service like i think they're going to do it through spotify you know i guess there's a process you don't just get to upload it and everything's hunky-dory so uh they're putting that up right now and it should be maybe done in the next couple days but then we're going to do like a music release thing for it and a music video on september 1st and all like it's stuff so it should be fun awesome. wow that'll be fun i'll be keeping my eye out for that i want to watch that that's right up my alley yeah, i love right. how the little the little like the banner at the bottom just post stuff like random things that you've already said <laughs> it's like i just kind of want to say something yeah. kind of ridiculous just to get that posted up like chupacabra let's see if that we, gets popped up good we luck have now, a, banner we have a, like a <laughs> we have like a seven figure production budget 
so we're we're always like you know we're pushing it we want to make sure we keep that budget every year what are the seven figures are they so, seven different figures or well, are you five of them like... come after five of them come after the dot <laughs> yeah, exactly and y'all have a bigger Dude, budget exactly. than me <laughs> So tell us about, like, I went and researched, because I never knew what a McDojo was, but we all grew up, like, me and Dave grew up kind of in the 80s and 90s, so back when, like, you know, a, every 80s movie, you, you whether it was Chuck Norris or Jean-Claude Van Damme, I mean, everyone wanted to learn. Best of the best. Best of the best oh, was one of my best faves. of the best. Great movie. Yeah. Was that Eric... Uh, uh, Roberts. Eric Roberts. He's all, like, you know, he's all... Mm. <laughs> so good so everybody like wanted to learn karate i remember i i was i took taekwondo for quite a few years and same thing like now i read about these mcdojos which you know you describe as like these belt factories right where you can go and sign up is it kind of like is that what it mcdojo life is where you're really um, going looking for these dojos think- that aren't Legit? I think that's a common misconception. That's a common okay. usage, like the terminology McDojo typically back in the day, like it was around before I even started martial arts, but the term typically means like McDonald's, you know, thousands of black belts served every year, things like that. The right. problem with that particular line of thinking is that's just assuming that, you know, that that's there's there is some kind of standard for how long it should take to get your black belt, which there isn't. Um, there's no regulating bodies in the martial arts whatsoever. So the mission statement of what I actually do is I call out fakes, frauds, phonies, con men, and pedophiles in the martial arts industry. I think there are bigger fish to fry in terms of protecting the martial arts community than how long it took someone to get their belt. Because if, I, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but there are people out there in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, for instance, who get their black belt in like two years, three years. It happens. Like, it's not unheard of. Guys like uh, you know, Gordon Ryan, uh, people like BJ Penn, which is a little bit more common. BJ Penn got his black belt in just under four years. So that makes that become more of a guideline than a rule. And so if it's a guideline, then that means it's kind of semantics. Whoever decides that that's going to be a thing and is important to them as an individual, cool. But in the long term, there's so many more corrupt and dirty and terrible issues to deal with in an organization like martial arts that has no regulating body I don't think that it's fair to be nitpicky about something so minute in someone's training when literally if you type in martial arts arrested, I guarantee you somebody yesterday got arrested for pedophilia in the martial arts industry. I guarantee you haven't even learned, but I promise you it happened. And so that's the crazy thing is like so many people look at the martial arts and they think that their instructor is automatically going to be this like virtuous human being because of honor and integrity and respect. Right. And that could be farthest from the truth. They could be a douchebag. You don't know. Like you're just assuming, you know, it's kind of like going to your mechanic and your mechanic's like, well, you know, your, uh, you know, your taillight fluids out. So we're going to need to replace that <laughs> taillight fluid. And then you don't know anything about cars. So what do you, oh, okay, go and replace it. And he charges yeah. you for it. Right. But you don't know. And the most people don't know. And so hopefully by calling out frauds, I'm hopefully putting a little bit of a light on what the positive things are. You know, if you can say, well, that's dog shit, you can also look at something and go, that's not dog shit. And so hopefully that helps the community stop being so petty about stupid things <laughs> and start looking at things that are actually important. 
You're seeing a right. lot of people moving to these at-home training, right? You see a lot of like Peloton blew up, right, in the last year and a half. And I mean, I got this fight camp thing, which uh, is literally just, you know, it's a heavy bag and, uh, and trainers on my <laughs> iPad, basically. And, uh, you know, I love it, but uh, it's it's literally just me and the bag and, and an iPad. It's no longer, you know, this actual personal, I'm not going to any kind of gym. Are you seeing this uh, uptick in that kind of workout? And is are people not going to dojos as much as they they were in the past or well i mean i think that last year everything got hit in terms of gyms and businesses anyway in terms of covid especially certain places like new york for instance like right now they just passed that rule where you can't even go to a gym without a passport like a vaccine passport right and you know people are going to just simply not go if that goes against their individual beliefs um, and so that's a shame because that makes the small business the one that gets hurt from that. So, yes, there's a there's a huge uptick in people training at home by themselves. I think that there's something missing to that because martial arts um, for self-defense anyway, mm -hmm. it's very important to have another human being on the other end of you. <laughs> you know, it's nice oh, yeah. to have different bodies, different shapes, different. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, well, well they a, say, that, you know, a punching bag doesn't fight back oh yes right? brick no hit back well i always tell people <laughs> for every like 20 minutes of heavy bag work i do i do 40 minutes of turtling just on my own <laughs> not like just crying in the fetal position <laughs> yeah <laughs> what have i done with my life okay <laughs> now what if you, now okay dave that was fun throwing punches now what if you get in a real fight turtle <laughs> fetal position quickly yeah. yeah there's there's nothing wrong with doing workouts like that i think it's a great thing i think anything that encourages somebody to want to better themselves in some way shape or form is a good thing it's like do you listen to the audiobook or do you read the book who gives a shit you're still into incorporating the information but i think in terms of honesty i think that's the difficult part right is people honestly think by hitting a heavy bag that that is going to help them in their self-defense and in a way it will help them partially it will help them. It will help you with your cardio. It'll help you understand how to throw punches. And hopefully you're doing it correctly so you don't hurt yourself because right. the bag is very unforgiving when you make a wrong punch and you tweak your shoulder or your wrist or your elbow. And so mm -hmm. then you learn by that. Right. But it's not the same as somebody who's teaching you a different way. Somebody standing in front of you and saying, punch me in the face. And then you try for like five minutes and you couldn't. And then you realize like, oh, well, there's more to this because when I hit the bag, it doesn't move out of the way. <laughs> right. See, there we yeah. go. Now yeah. the bottom quarter things talking. That's there was no I'm... chupacabra. I don't. I didn't see the chupacabra. Yeah, I still got my chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I, I gotta ask, like, because you're exposing some of these people. I, how is there people like want like have they people because now with I've seen now some of these celebrities and these YouTubers now are fighting in the ring. You know. Uh, who are those brothers that are fighting and stuff now? Uh, like there must be people that are challenging you online. I, I, I saw one thing where it was the guy with the gun it was in Russia or something. Yeah. He was, yeah, yeah. Shoot, he was standing up and the guy was like shooting bullets right next to the guy's head. Yeah. That was actually in the United States, but they were Russian. They just oh, okay. came over here and they, they literally, after doing that, they were like, we don't care if we get kicked off of ranges. I was like, you should care if you shoot your friend in the face. Cause you're a moron. Man. <laughs> There's a reason rules are in place, but yeah, I get challenged all the time. But the truth is, is like, I have like 800,000 people who follow me on social media worldwide. If I fought everyone who challenged me to a fight, one, that would make me an egotistical dick. That means that like, I'm taking everything they say to such heart that I'm willing to fist fight everyone who says something I don't agree with. That's just right. dumb. Um, right. And then the other thing, I would never stop fighting. I would never actually get any work done. 
everything I would do would just be training, eating. What's I my schedule today? <laughs> Fred. Well, let me look at the Rolodex. It looks That's like right. I'm fighting loves the movie Magnolia one versus <laughs> yeah. me. Uh, and then uh, lives in his mom's basement too is fighting yeah. next. So we'll have to work on that. <laughs> loves the movie Magnolia. Who doesn't? I want to, is this guy for real? I'm going to start following him on Instagram. <laughs> Magnolia. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, what is next? I always thought of like watching what you do and, and, and look and go like, have you ever thought about doing the next step would be, would you ever think about doing like a travel thing where you would go around and maybe get out of your house? And would you ever think about going to and confronting any of these people? I mean, it might be difficult because he's, they won't, don't want to be on camera, but you ever thought about doing anything like that? You'd be kind of surprised because we actually filmed the full documentary. It took us, three years from beginning to where we are now, which is finishing the editing phase and working on distribution. The hard part has been distribution uh, because no one wants to buy a movie from somebody who has not made a movie before. (laughs) So like (laughs) people are like, ah, we'll see what you come up with and then we'll buy the finished product. But we actually already finished uh, filming the entire movie and you'd be amazed about how many people of frauds actually agreed to be on camera. Um, The thing about it is, is that to us, they're clearly frauds, right? But don't think of it like martial arts. Think of it like a cult. Mm-hmm. And when you look at a cult, people in a cult don't think they're in a cult. You know, there's I can't think of any one cult where there were the members were like, man, I can't wait to go to the cult meeting today. It just doesn't happen because they don't <laughs> yeah. think they're in one. Right. And the that's leaders right. don't think they're cult leaders. They actually think they're helping people. And so but that's the delusion. That's where it gets twisted is because we all know that they're obviously taking advantage of people. But. After talking to the psychologists and the doctors in the documentary, we found out a lot of really interesting things. One is that not every one of these people knows they're a con man. That was kind of fascinating. They lie to themselves so much that it becomes their ingrained truth, that they truly believe in their heart that they can knock someone out with their mind or they can touch somebody in their spleen 32 and then knock them unconscious or make their bowels expel out their big toe or whatever it is they believe, right? (laughs) And so, but the, the followers are the most interesting part because the followers typically are financially well off, very well educated, and usually are the people who say, I would never fall victim of a cult. And I found that the most fascinating when filming our documentary, because you would think that these people would be naive. But a prime example of this is if you've ever seen the documentary Wild Wild Country, they built an entire city for their cult because their cult members were made up of doctors and lawyers and architects. So, like, we think in our head that these people are a certain way. And then we all kind of forget that we're all susceptible to this. It's nothing new. Like every person you meet eventually down the road, if you talk to them long enough, will say some shit and you'd be like, Steve believes in some weird shit. But like, that's because like people usually hold that stuff in. They don't, they know certain things about them might be weird and they keep that to themselves. And so those people unfortunately do fall victim. And that was the miracle of that is that because those people did not feel like they were cons or frauds, all we had to do was say, Hey man, we're filming a martial arts documentary. We'd love to interview you. And they were like, okay. <laughs> we just, one yeah. dude said he thought he could dodge bullets. Dead serious thinks he could dodge bullets. Like part oh of hearts thinks that he has the ability to dodge bullets. One dude thinks that he has the ability to hit somebody and kill them three days later. Um, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating right. because when we talk about it, it sounds so dumb. But they really believe it. And even more fascinating, they got other people to believe it, too. Right. So um, it's it's crazy, man. 
Well, I, I, I understand why the delusion of the, the instructors or the grandmasters or whatever, but I'm still confused about how someone can throw a magic chi fireball at you and you see these guys like fall and they pass out and they have to get the back slap. You know, and they like they grab their leg, grab his legs, grab his legs. I love that. <laughs> Cross his legs. Yeah. Cross Quickly his legs. before his head explodes. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, why isn't it? Why are you paying money to go to something and then you're just? Why would you agree to pretend to pass out and have like some guy no touch throw a fireball at you and you're like, oh, and you fly back? Well, actually, it's easier <laughs> than you think. Do you want to do an experiment real fast? Yes, a hundred percent. Okay, cool. I just need one of you, though, because it doesn't work Ty, you do it. at the same time. Go, Ty. Oh, okay, I'll do it. All right, you'll do it? All right, cool. So pretty simple, all right? So we're going to pretend that you're coming into my martial arts studio. It's your very first time. Now, there's a couple things to preface this with. One, I did not call you. You called me. That's how every martial arts studio ever works, right? So you already are interested in the product that I am buying. So that's important preface. Next, if you have never trained martial arts a day in your life, you have absolutely no baseline to what martial arts really is other than what you've seen on TV. So let's play a little game and let's see if I can convince you to learn no touch knockout stuff. Sure. All right, cool. So pretty simple. Let's pretend you're walking into my front door. All right. Hey, how's it going, man? Rob, nice to meet you. Hey, I'm Tyler. How you doing? Dude, I'm excited to have you in. Thank you for coming in for your first class. Have you ever trained martial arts before? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? What's what stopped you? I I don't know. I watch a lot of uh, karate movies and uh, I guess never thought I could do it. But now I really just mustered up the courage to come down here. All right, that's cool. Well, how long you been thinking about doing something like this? My whole life. Wow. Your entire life. That's that's good to know. That's good to know. And then uh, are you coming from home or work? Oh, I just came from work. Oh, sweet. What do you do? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a, a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I guess that makes I, a lot I of work, sense. <laughs> I work construction. Uh, I just dug a ditch. All right, cool. Well, I'm let me bad. show you our schedule real fast. It's pretty simple. Sure. Um, let's say you enjoy classes, right? We have classes this exact same time every day, Monday through Sunday. Um, if, you, if you like class and you enjoy it, how often do you think you'd be able to make it in? Uh, I don't know. Once, twice a week, maybe twice a week. That's pretty average. Most people train okay. two, three times a week. So that's, okay. that's no big deal at all. And I have, a, I'm curious, like, why are you wanting to learn martial arts now? You say you've been waiting your entire life. Why now? Uh, I don't know. To be honest, I finally got the money to get lessons, I guess. That's awesome. And then finally, uh, I just have one more question. I'll kind of give you a tour of the facility and then I'll kind of cover what we're going to do in class. Um, but you know, it's something you've been thinking about doing a long time. I'm assuming you have the support of your family to do something like this. Uh, no, they don't know that I'm here. They don't know you're here. No. <laughs> you're just like, you know what? I'm just disappearing. I'm not coming home for three or four hours. Uh, good luck knowing where I am. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell them, uh, I'll tell them over dinner. All right. Cool. 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 Well, I- I'm excited to get you on the mat. So I want to talk to you about what just happened and you probably have no clue what I just did. So statistically, based off the answers that you gave me, and if I run a good class, 85% of the time with the way you answered your questions, I'll sign you up for my class, no matter what I teach you. Doesn't matter what it is. 
Now, yeah. I will also say this, people who fall into cult-like behavior like this, you're not gonna learn a no-touch knockout in one day. This is gonna take a long period of brainwashing, oh, yeah. but I already actually brainwashed you. Um, so there are something called five objections. The five objections are the five things people tell you instead of saying the word no, when they go to sign up at your martial arts facility. And those objections are pretty simple. And once you learn sales, it's not that hard to do. People either say, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. It's too far away. I have to talk to my spouse or I have to think about it. These are right. the five rules are the five objections people give you before they sign up at your martial arts class. Can you tell me why you don't have the time? Can you tell me why you can no longer use the excuse? I have to think about it. Right. Can, well, can I tell you? Yeah. Why, why can you no longer use that as an excuse? I don't know. You told me you've been thinking about doing this your entire life. Oh, cause I had the, I said that now I finally have the money. Exactly. So that, that gets to, we'll get to that in a second, but you said you've been thinking about doing this your entire life. And yeah. you literally just came in. What's there to think about? You can no longer tell me you have to think about it because you've been thinking about it all, all these years, right? That's right. You can't tell me it's too far away. Why? It's right there. Because I came, I came from work. You just told me you came from work in a casual That's conversation. Right. I didn't need to high pressure sale you. You just answered the question for me. Um, money. Why can you no longer use the excuse of money? Because I just told you I had it. You told me you have the money. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what was the next one? Time, money. You get the idea. Uh, yeah. I so like everything we just talked about in that casual conversation, you answered for me before I even tried to sell you on it. Right. So by the time we actually sit down to discuss the money, right, I already have eliminated all of these walls. And so when you come in, you're going to learn day one martial arts like everybody else's. You might learn a jab. You might learn a punch, a kick, a takedown, a block, or a submission. That's it. Those are your options. And so when you come into any martial arts class for your first day, those are going to be the things that you're going to learn no matter what martial art it is you do. So based off of me learning how to do this, it doesn't actually matter what I do on the mat because you just answered every question I need. One, you have no clue what we're doing. You already told me it's your first time. You don't know exactly what we're looking at. If I teach you something that rhymes or reasons with what you've already seen or know, then by the time we actually sit down, you're going to think this is legit. And all I have to do in order to make it legit is watch a movie. <laughs> like I can watch a movie and go, I can do a front kick. And then I yeah. teach that to you in class. And whether I know what I'm doing or not, based off these five objections, I've already brainwashed you. Um, and so that's why I'm pretty good salesman when it comes to martial arts. But then again, it's because I've been studying this and frauds for a long time. But at the end of the day, brainwashing you to sign up is actually a lot easier than you think it is. Um, do you want an, an easier example, by the way, is if you go to a grocery store, right? You went to the grocery store, you, you know, all the good foods on the outside and all the shits in the aisles, right? All That's the right. packaged stuff. And then by the time you get up there, there's food, there's candy bars, there's drinks, there's water, there's all that stuff up there. People right. still buy that. That's not their idea. We think that's our idea, but the truth is, is it's not. I could buy a case of soda inside the, the Walmart, or I can buy this one soda that's just the same size, but I only get one, and it's going to cost me the same amount as a case of soda. Anyone right. intelligent would go, oh, I'll just buy the case because it's cheaper and I get more. But that wasn't how this worked. You're brainwashed. You were walking around a store. You were hungry. You were thirsty. And someone says, here, let me give you free. It's there something. on your way out. Yeah. You know? right and so, but again, not too we late. think you we're in control of these thoughts. We're just yeah. not in control of those thoughts. Someone smarter than us figured that out before us and is brainwashing us a little bit at a time. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, well, that's that's huge. Like, because that works in everything, right? You think about when you go to a, 
you went to a car dealership and you're looking around, the guy comes out and say, it's all the same. It's like, well, you went to the car dealership, you know, so he, you know, he doesn't have to come find you. Yeah, that's interesting how much time and effort they put into brainwashing when really if they just put that time and effort into learning their craft. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cool thing is, is it also applies to helping people. Because, like, think about right. it. If somebody genuinely does have a mental block about exercise, I have to not only figure out how to get this person to sign up, but I have to figure out how to make them lose weight. So a guy in like, let's say his forties, his doctor comes to him and says, yo, dude, look, if you don't lose 30 pounds, you're going to die. That's all there is to it. Well, this person still has to get past that mental block that exists of them not taking care of themselves for decades. And then all of a sudden they get there and they think their life's just going to change like that. It takes somebody who's a real coach to see that and go, you know what? We have to figure out how to get you away from you. <laughs> and once we can get you in a different mentality and a different mindset, then I can actually help you as a coach. But I can't do that until you actually show up. And so half that battle is getting them to sign up. Um, and so that is a trick, especially with somebody who just doesn't want to do it. <laughs> you know, the doctor's forcing him and he goes, you know what? I'm going to do martial arts because it looks like it'd be more fun than going to the gym. And then they settle, yeah. not excited. So you as a coach have to get them excited, get them ready to go and then get them brainwashed and to stop being themselves like bitch you're eating your, like if, if my inner head could actually talk to people <laughs> come in the gym it would be such different thing like what yeah. comes out here and what goes in here is so different like if i could just look at them and i actually said what i meant like i would get no one signed up i'd be like all right dude so let me get this straight you need to lose 30 pounds or you're gonna die uh, mm -hmm. all right and then you haven't worked out your entire life i'll say well yeah. all right when do we get the funeral arrangement set up yeah, for exactly you? because we have to actually change everything about you and you're not willing to do that. So bye. And then wait, no, no, no. Like that's how that probably would go, but it doesn't work that way. So you have to be very encouraging and loving and nurturing to get somebody to work with you. Um, also a sales tactic, no like trust. If they don't know you, they don't like you. If they don't like you, they don't trust you. If they don't trust you, they'll never buy anything from you anyway. Right. Yeah. That's like, uh, I saw a meme, I think it was yesterday and it said, I wish I could just drop my body off at the gym and pick it up when it was done. <laughs> I don't think it's so <laughs> true. Nice. I'll be all it's, about it's, that. it's interesting too, because people will put years and years uh, of work into becoming unhealthy. So for example, let's say someone gains a hundred pounds and it took them 10 years to get that way, but there's an ex expectation to lose all that weight in by summer or something. And it's like, it's going to take you probably 10 years because it's the same thing. You got to put in the same amount of work for a long period of time to get back so I, there's people's expectations are so, I don't know what it is, but it seems to be with a lot of people, their expectations are, well, how hard, you know, can I learn, can I be a black belt in, in three months? You're like, well, no. And then they're like, well, as a trainer, maybe no, you want that challenge sometimes, you know, maybe you want to say, uh, you know what, maybe I can help change this. But, you know, it's almost like teachers. I think about, you know, when I started learning guitar in like the eighth grade and the eighth grade guitar teacher was just a total dickhead. He wouldn't let me play. <laughs> slayer and i was like this class sucks <laughs> but then i got into the new school and we're playing you know nirvana songs and alice in chain songs and the teacher was like oh man those chords are awesome this is really cool and it was like a different mentality all of a sudden i had a teacher that made me want to play like i didn't even want to play in the eighth grade after taking the class because it just wasn't fun it was like another class 
But then, you know, if you're the right kind of trainer, you find the guy, you find what clicks with them and you see that they see the difference. You see the difference in them. Those are the people that make the difference, right? You're trying to get rid of these garbage guys and, and populate the dojos with these guys that are For sure. actually trying Definitely. to help the people. And empathy yeah. is such a big part of being a martial arts instructor or any job that requires you to work with people. Half the battle of working with people and being good at that job what, and like, and I'm sure you guys understand this as well. When you get up on stage, if you don't make some type of connection with your audience, your audience doesn't give a shit about you. Um, you're just another band. What makes you stand out above another band is how you uniquely connect, whether it be on a personal level or whether it be on a level where, where you're actually connecting in the moment or in the lyric or in the chord or the sound. Like there's a connection going on between you and another human being. And it's a skill, it's a craft. And some people put something out there and they go, well, I'm just gonna put this out there because I need to make money. Well, those people will yep. fail. Like the people who actually really give a shit, those are the ones who are successful. And then that's also the crazy thing about the frauds and the arts is because they've convinced themselves, again, in order to be successful in this, they've convinced themselves that they're actually helping people when they're doing anything but that. Um, and so it's kind of a scary thing, especially when mm -hmm. trying to get people to disenfranchise themselves away from the cult that's hard <laughs> like people yeah. believe what they believe and that is it and if you try to like waver that man they are going to come at you with the venom well that's like when we do uh, meet and greets and you, you can pay to meet the band you i think you get like a merch item uh, we do like a sign eight by ten or something like that and they get to meet the band and you wouldn't believe how many people come through and they and they say to us, they're like, this, you must hate this. You must, oh, you guys, it's probably the worst part of your day, right? And we're like, no, this is, it's not for the money. We're not doing this because we're broke. We're doing it because we, we actually love to interact with our fans. And well, I'll ask every single fan almost like, what song you want to hear tonight? What, what, what song? What's your favorite song? Like, I want to know because I want to, you know, know we can cater our, our set list to what they want to hear and if you get a lot of people like how come you don't play this song anymore we're like well guys i think we should probably put this back in the set because it seems like you we're know hearing like a lot actually, of requests yeah, yeah we're actually uh you know we're excited to actually meet fans and sometimes like i think we did an online uh, meet and greet during the whole lockdown thing and that's uh, cool dave was saying you know after we were done dave was saying like wow i think we needed that more than the fans needed it because it was almost like this the connection with the fans after like a year of sitting at home was like so uh, psychologically needed, you know? So we Oh, man. It's, it's, it's awesome. so funny. I, I was saying like with, you know, I have a couple of young kids and my wife and, you know, so there's, I feel like this, you know, human value as a husband and a father. But uh, there's this part of me that feels so much value in being like this part of this band that brings so many people enjoyment and joy from through songs or like you say this connection to a lot of the lyrics and man it was it was cool to have like that meet and greet was unlike any other one because all of a sudden these people felt so comfortable in their homes one-on-one -on -one with the band no other people behind them in line it was just like and they could just get right deep into things that were that were heavy and it was really interesting to see them open up in this environment and it felt really good. I was like, afterwards, I was like, man, like the one guy talked about a lyric saving his life or something. And I'm like, man, yeah. you know, you just like get goosebumps when you talk to these people and they, they put the value on, on something you've done like that. And you go, holy man, you can actually say uh, like he I saved a human life with a song that you wrote. That's insane to me. Like it blows my mind still. 
I think it's the beautiful part about being in charge of anything that makes any sort of impact to anyone is the fact that you have this realization one day then you were just doing what you would be doing for free anyway. <laughs> like, that's just the truth. Like, if you love right. something, you were going to be doing it anyway, right? And then one day somebody sends you an email or somebody sends you a direct message or somebody bumps into you. Um, and then you're like, oh, fuck. Like, no matter what I do or no matter what I've done in my past, like, I did at least one good thing for one person. And I know that for a fact because I just met him right now. Yeah. Um, it's it's cool, man. It's, it's something impactful about that. And I, I don't think that the majority of people who actually make the biggest impact even have a clue they're doing it because that for them, it's Tuesday, <laughs> you know, oh, for everybody else, they're looking at that and they're going, man, that was like the best thing I've ever heard ever. Um, and then they live their life by that and they, they tattoo that lyric on their arm or they tattoo mm -hmm. the quote or they, you know, they go to the show and they're like, man, I just got to tell you, but like they, they literally did something specifically because you exist in the world. There's nothing more beautiful. And that's a beautiful thing. Have you sure been, is. have you seen anything personally in DMs or fans of what you do? Have you seen anybody that said, Hey man, I was stuck in one of these cultish, uh, dojo things. And I actually woke up when I started following you, see anything like that? Yeah, for sure. I get, I actually get it quite often. I get a lot more than you would imagine than I would imagine. Um, you know, cause when you first look at it from the outside, it seems like such a niche within a niche because the martial arts industry is a, is a niche market anyway. I mean, there's not too many people who wake up every day and say, you know what I really want to do is get punched in the face tonight. That sounds great. Um, yeah. it's, it's not for everybody and that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. We all have our thing. But then on top of that, people who fell victim, um, you know, I get a one lady, I did a story about her. She was being abused by her husband in France. And she fled France with her daughter to the United States. And uh, it was such a small story that didn't get any traction. Like she became an MMA fighter and completely changed her life and felt empowered and all that good stuff. And it was great to hear, but like there was no coverage. So I, I did the story. And then she wrote me, she was like, Dude, I, I really truly appreciate that you did this. And I think that's gonna help other people and show that this is a good outlet and a positive thing for people. Um, because I usually shine so much negative light on the negative stuff that when I shine some light on the positive stuff, it shines that much brighter. And so, uh, but I did have one, you do have weird things that come from it as well. Like, uh, I was at a bar one time I went to a bar. It was a friend's birthday. We go up and the bouncer recognized me and he was like, yo man, let's take a picture. And I was like, all right, cool. We took a picture and then we moved on. And then later that night I'm in the bathroom and I'm at a urinal and I'm just chilling. And all of a sudden I felt like eyes on me. That's not when you want to feel eyes on you. And so like, <laughs> I like looked over and there was a dude just staring right at me. And I was like, uh -oh. Hey man, how's it, how's it going? How's can it I, hanging? Can I help you? And he was like, dude, I'm sorry. He goes, I didn't mean stare. I just recognize you from the page and I'm a big fan and all that. He goes, can we take a picture? And I was like, well, maybe not right now. Cause you know, our penises are in our hands and stuff, but maybe I'll shake your hand, man. Let's <laughs> shake your hand. Come on. Hey buddy. <laughs> uh, and then he wouldn't let me leave the bathroom until we took a photo. Now, granted he was hammered drunk, but at the same time, like, you know, that's, it's just cool. Like it's weird, but it's cool because nobody you don't get shit like that when people don't know you exist <laughs> you know like eyes on your own paper son like we just look straight ahead and yeah. that's all that would be you know <laughs> yeah have you ever heard of the amazing randy <laughs> yeah for sure uh dude uh james randy is a legend he passed away two years ago unfortunately yeah. um we were going to actually interview him for our documentary and he passed oh. away before we were able to because of covid and um 
man, it, it really put took some wind out of our sails. But you know, he, he's a legend. He spent his entire life calling out frauds. Yeah. Um, and then he actually had a check in his pocket. It didn't start off this way, but he had a check in his pocket called the the million dollar challenge with James right. Randy. Yeah. And anybody who could prove that they had psychic abilities or supernatural abilities. And he could not debunk them. He would give them a million dollars. And James Randi died with that check in his pocket. That's right. Because it doesn't exist. <laughs> it was the uh, it was Yuri Geller. I know he called out a lot of those guys. Uh, but yeah, I just it, I just thought about that because I know I, I remember the million dollar challenge. And I'm like, dude, McDojo life. Like, you know, maybe you need to write a million dollar check someday. And, and, <laughs> and just that'll like really James, no, Jim, like Jim like Carrey. 10, I manifested in my head. Like if I just write myself a million dollar check, then eventually I'll have the money. <laughs> you'll, you, the thing is, you'll never have to write that check because you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things. It's like, right. You could do a challenge and you would, I mean, you'd never have to write that check, but man, that would be something. It's almost like, yeah, taking the reins from uh, the amazing Randy. I used to love that guy. He was Canadian too. Yeah. I um, I have nothing but respect for that, man. It's like, uh, I get, I got compared to him a lot um, and I don't feel like I'm even close to what he's done. Um, but the, you know, my life is young, so maybe I'll get there. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll be that guy later on down the road that was like, yeah, that's bullshit. It's kind of cool to be paid for that job. Um, we actually interviewed a guy he did debunk though, a guy named James Heydrich. Uh, he was on a TV show where he was trying to convince people that he could move objects with his mind. Yeah. And J uh, James Randy went up on stage and put some packaging peanuts around this that's book. Right. And uh, the guy couldn't do it, obviously, because it was a magic trick. But it was it's just amazing to see how his brain operates by being able to deconstruct the lie. That's what's fascinating to me. Because he knew already because he, wa he was a magician, just like you are a martial arts expert. So he immediately knows, like, no. So, yeah, I remember that guy had, like, a crazy bowl cut, and he wore, like, a black <laughs> satin, like, was it kung fu outfit or something? That was it, yeah. And he used to do it with like just with wind, right? He would do something, and then he would turn pages on a book or something. And yeah, I remember that. And James <laughs> Randy was like, "Ah, try to do it now." And he put it like he put it in like some glass box or something. Like, do it now. And the guy's like, "Ah, damn!" It's like Gary Geller. I remember it was. Nope. Oh, kind of froze there for a second. Huge Gary Geller fan. I was saying Johnny Carson was a huge Gary Geller fan. He brought him out, and then he brought out James Randy to to screw with Yuri Geller and they took all of his spoons away and they're like, Hey, or try to bend the spoon. And then they, and he, and he knew it wasn't his spoon and he couldn't do it. And it was like live on television. And because I think, uh, Johnny Carson was the same thing. He was a huge loved magic. And then he did not like guys that were frauds. So he, I don't think he liked that Yuri Geller was a fraud. So he brought out James Randy to call him out on live television. It was great. You know, just because we're talking about the subject, like I said, we, we filmed the documentary, we're working on editing it right now. We actually got to interview James Heydrich, which was the the Kung Fu guy that he debunked. Yep. Um, wow, really? Yeah. And that guy is in a mental institution right now. We interviewed him via Skype because they would not allow our cameras crew to come in. It's like 80% of that particular mental institution are actually diagnosed psychopaths. Mm -hmm. Um and so it's it was pretty crazy, but we found out all kinds of like that dude. I feel bad a little bit, a little very small bit for James Heydrich. You know, he had a really rough childhood. He was literally called the family dog and tied to a tree when he was young. It was very abusive, but he went on to like molest five kids in his martial arts studio. Um, right. He got arrested for this and he escaped prison twice. 
twice and out of like because he's a magician like of course he figured out how to get up but um you know at the end of the day it was interesting to like hear his story we actually brought him in for the documentary as a subject matter expert because he's the only fraud that we've met who admitted to being a fraud um and so we were like well we'd like to find out how you did it and if you were some of these other people how would you have done that and man like even though he's a giant terrible human being for what he's done at least he did that one thing well by helping us expose other frauds and maybe because of that i don't know maybe he he gets a little bit of a redemption for some of the things that he's done negatively but it was amazing to hear him just dismantle the process of how to take advantage of people how to look for the mark in the audience how to find the person who is the most susceptible to being manipulated i mean he gave us a, a thesis like a whole like a seminar on how to do it it was mind-blowing that this man knew so much about how to manipulate people and he never even had an education past elementary school. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm excited to see, to see this documentary. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be good. You guys, is, hey, uh, fun. you can, you could tie it with the, uh, you got the music video and then what do you, when do you think the documentary is going to come out? Well, as of right now, I just, we just talked to a guy, um, for a, uh, agency and we were like, with what we have, we did our pitch deck and we haven't finished our trailer quite yet. Cause it was dark. And I was like, this should kind of feel a little bit more fun. <laughs> I was like, we did it very sarcastically. So I would like it to feel more sarcastic in the documentary, but it, it just wind up being too dark. I was like, I'm not presenting that as what we're putting out. Right. And so we went to an agent we were like, do you think we have enough now to present this to like a netflix to see if they'd be willing to help us get on some editors and some people who could help us tell a story better um and really make this really well round he's like in all honesty with what you have it's not ready yet you need to go back to the drawing board he goes in all honesty for your first time out you're probably better off just finishing it first and then trying to sell it done so now we figured actually this like within the last two days we've had this conversation but now we're at the point where we're like okay well now we know we have to edit it ourselves so our deadline for that is by the end of the year for it to be done completed 100 um, percent because the process is convoluted there is no like one process to get your movie out there and made right. which sucks because right. if there was it'd be so much easier to understand but it's just like uh you know everybody does it a different way good luck finding yours oh uh, yeah. will you help us oh hell no of course not of course i'm not gonna help you oh good luck though it's like damn cold <laughs> Yeah, well, I think a lot of people will want to see that. I hundred percent will. I, I can't. I can't wait to see that you interviewed that dude. I can't believe we somehow got to that. And you like, it's crazy how I ask these questions, and you're just like, oh yeah, no, I actually, I actually interviewed that guy. I'm like that's amazing. <laughs> oh man, man, we yeah, have that's I, awesome. I do have to tell you one thing about the documentary, man. We we did one seminar, and we brought in a fraud. Um, we filled the classroom full of ten people who all trained martial arts for a very long time in different disciplines but we let him be under the impression we didn't lie to him we just let him be under the impression that they hadn't trained very much or at all and man i told them for the two-hour seminar for the first hour i want you guys just to go with it whatever he says whatever he does pretend it works but for the second hour i want you to be yourself if you feel like you need to talk or ask questions please do and at the at the first hour it was all nonsense made up garbage we all just were kind of pretending it was working and the, everybody in there was bone dry. It wasn't very, uh, you know, 
uh, you didn't have to exert a lot of energy to stand there and listen to this guy speak nonsense. But after that first hour, man, he was profusely sweating because people started asking questions and he, these are normal questions anyone should be able to answer, but he didn't have answers. And so finally someone in the audience goes, Hey man, well, what happens if somebody pulls a knife on you? And this guy's eyes light up. He goes, Oh man, he goes over to his bag and he pulls out a, a training knife, a rubber training knife. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, all right, guys, well, what kind of attack are we talking about here? Are we talking about like a downward stab or like the upward prison shank? And someone goes, oh, the upward prison shank. And so he hands the knife over to the only person in the room who is not trained, who actually has not trained, because you need right. that person too. It happened to be a camera guy of ours. And he's never trained martial arts a day in his life. But the guy didn't know that. He thought no one trained. So he hands this guy the knife and he goes, all right, I want you to stab me. And our camera guy looks over at me and I go, well, you got to stab him. And so our camera guy commences to stabbing this guy 19 times while he's trying this particular block. Every last one of those stabs went through. And so somebody in the audience was like, well, maybe this would work better and does a technique that would work way better. And the guy was like, no, it's ridiculous. Let me show you why. He goes, the reason I'm not doing this is because I want to get close. I want to smother the guy. And so he bum rushes our camera guy. And he grabs him around the waist and he's holding on to him by the waist. But the problem is, is that the knife hand is still completely free and mobile behind his back. And so everyone in the audience can see him, but he can't see what's going on behind his back. And so he's right. giving this great speech. As you can clearly see, I have complete control of my assailant. And meanwhile, we did a stab counter. Our guy was smart enough not to actually touch him with a knife, but just go through the motions. He got stabbed 49 times during that speech about how safe he was. Now, ironically enough, the only gym we could find on short notice was in Compton. So we're in a martial arts gym in Compton. And so a guy is sitting down for his next class and he's staring and his eyes look like a dog who was just curious that he smelled something funny. He's like, what? This doesn't make any sense. And so somebody in, in the audience was being sarcastic, said, well, what happens if he stabs you in the back? <laughs> like, clearly you're getting stabbed in the back. And yeah. his response made this guy's jaw drop to the floor. His response was, if you don't see the blood, it's not that bad. That was his professional <laughs> response to knife defense. And that's scary. That's terrifying. It's funny because he got stabbed like 56 times. Obviously, what he does doesn't work. But his response right. of, eh, if you don't see the blood, it's not that bad, like, that's your professional response. If you're you don't know you're, you you don't know you're dead, you're not dead. <laughs> you're being stabbed. Just well, you know, once you die, you don't feel anymore. So it's not that bad. <laughs> oh yeah, my man. God, those people exist. I can't wait to see this. Uh, send us a copy, uh, and before yeah. it comes out. <laughs> Definitely. Well, well, we plan on uh, now that we actually have to finish the movie. Uh, on our own, we're gonna do a, a pre-screening. Like we'll do like an opening thing, and we'll make sure you guys get an invite. Y'all can come yes. watch the first awesome. airing. Yes, sounds awesome. That's a great idea. That's a that's a fantastic idea. We we are down. Let's do it. And after it's we'll over, cancel shows if we have to. We'll play. <laughs> we'll play a set. We'll play a That'd set. And and you know what? We'll jam the uh, McDojo Life theme song. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool too. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, shoot. I mean, there's so much stuff we could talk about, uh, but thank you so much for coming on our show, man. Seriously, uh, I've been following you for a while, and it, it, I actually was, when we started doing this podcast, I went on the Kill Cliff site to look at what else they had, and there you were, and I'm like, hey, this guy's got a podcast. That's awesome. So, yeah, it was you were definitely on the list of people to come on our podcast, If you so thanks so much for doing it. 
Well, I truly appreciate it, man. I love talking shop. Obviously, I'm a, once I get going, man, I can do it for days. Yeah, well, well, we'll have to come get a training session in uh, one of these days. Come out and uh, you know run us through the ropes. Hit me up, man. Let's do it. I'm down. Sounds yeah, great. we'll have to get the nunchucks going, right, Dave? <laughs> Call would me be... Michelangelo, bro. Call me Michelangelo. Oh, dude, all day. Michelangelo is like my dude. Mm-hmm. Still trying to be Michelangelo, and I'm in my yeah. 30s. <laughs> well, what did you think I meant when I said turtle for 40 minutes, guys? <laughs> Come on. Come on. Ah. <laughs> TMNT, baby. Awesome. TMNT. Right. All day. Every day. Well, thanks so much, man. Yeah, dude, we'll talk soon. Turtles. <laughs> yeah. Chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll talk uh, to you later dude thank you so much appreciate you for having me man peace you got it see ya man that was enlightening that was a lot of fun some great yeah, stories cheeks, there my cheeks hurt yeah it's a lot of smiling smiling the whole time yeah that stuff that stuff like i love that shit like i i can't wait it's just so crazy that like i was like you, you ever thought about filming something he's like all right we're already doing it so yeah he's on it he's got everything going on yeah i, I was I wanted to get to uh, like I, I feel like there's this correlation to how high people wear their pants and how good they are at martial arts and like the higher you pull your pants up over your belly button the better you are actually I meant to ask him about that if he's uh researched that at all that's just a theory of my own so you're saying was... my dad is a grandmaster your dad was definitely uh, <laughs> like a triple <laughs> yeah black belt type. he's a ninth Dan <laughs> yeah my dad probably good. My mom, I took uh, uh, martial arts with my dad. I remember um, that we took Tegido, which was like uh, more of a street fighting stuff. Like you know, some it's more like a a lot of like bouncer techniques. Some like someone grabs you like this, you like take their thumb and like oh, a lot of sounds that like stuff. Of, sounds like a bunch of fluff, huh? Probably him in the the spleen thirty six. Is that what he called? Uh, I was at spleen thirty two. <laughs> uh, liver twelve was my favorite on my own dad. I came my cry, shot my dad's neck, and then he'd grab his pants. No, but I always, but it, it was fun, but it sucked because I always had to part up with my dad. Right. So my dad would be like, "All right, partner up," and it was me, and my dad, and I was like ten. <laughs> my dad would just kick my. It's like ass. Kramer and Seinfeld. What are you doing? Dominating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're six years old. And I remember you, uh, my our next door neighbor it was some dude years ago. And I guess my dad didn't like where he parked his car and left him a note. And the guy came out and, like, confronted my dad. He's like, hey, I'll kick your ass and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't know if you can kick my dad's ass. My dad was all, eh, bring it on. My dad was all, like, <laughs> wait, waiting for it. The guy never attacked him. I was sitting there watching in, like, our front window. Is my dad going to beat this guy up? But it would be no, great if he did attack him. him and your dad grabbed his thumb and did, like, one of the moves or something. <gasps> Hold him down. would have been amazing. My dad's a big guy. My dad probably would just use his body weight probably grab the guy and throw him on the ground or something yeah singing the song that was awesome that was good yep agreed yep uh now what you got going on dave i'm gonna probably you know hit emerald knights in burbank if anyone knows what that is you're cool if you don't well it sounds like uh somewhere that you go to uh buy uh, role-playing games <laughs> no, it's a it's the hippest nightclub in are town. you going to play magic are you gonna play magic the gathering no, but uh, we probably didn't. We play that once. We bought cards, and then that was like twenty years ago or something. And then we should have no, kept the cards. I have no touring regrets about the stupid shit I've spent money on to keep myself entertained, and that includes Magic: The Gathering cards. I have bought those, and yeah, we did try to play them, and I don't think we really enjoyed it. 
Yeah. But now I think people just like get the cards and they they're worth like five grand or something like that. You had to turn magic to gathering into a drinking game and you're like, oh yeah, three mana, that means take two shots of tequila. Yeah. There's always hot Someone. chicks. You're in you're in college, <laughs> you're in a dorm. You're at the frat house yeah. playing Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Doubt it. Yeah, go Doubt check it. out McDojo Life uh, on YouTube. He's got awesome shit on YouTube. He actually does this kind of mystery science theater thing called Kung Fu Theater, and they just watch like really bad Kung Fu movies. It's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Uh, check that out, uh, McDojo Life on Instagram as well. And uh, bandmeetingpodcast.com, I think. Go buy some merch and uh, check out our other podcasts. And uh, we'll just. And what do I got going? I'm gonna go watch American Ninja one, two, three, and maybe. Four. Oh, dude! We'll see. So good. <laughs> we start reminiscing about these old movies. It just brings me back. Yeah, I just actually watched American Ninja. I think it was three or two. I actually I believe that. It was I the one on that. the golf course. I did just watch it like during COVID. But uh, awesome. yeah, and we'll see you. If not here, we'll see you out on the road. Theory of Dead Man. That's our band, in case you're wondering. Peace. We'll, we'll see, see you all soon. Bye. Bad meeting with Tyler.